The last couple of weeks, I've been examining some of our students' proficiency to conduct a clinical exam in an allotted time. The clinical skill on trial was the cranial nerve exam, which it is safe to say is a topic that strikes fear in the hearts of many a student due to its perceived complexity. And they are beautifully complex and somewhat daunting when you first encounter them. But if you dissect the knowledge in bite-sized chunks, it is easier to digest. That said, I heard a colleague state it takes 12 years to learn the 12 cranial nerves well. We've got five minutes. So, in true dissectable me fashion, let's take the very first bite of cranial nerves by exploring what they are, where they are, and what they do. It would be futile of me to attempt all cranial nerves with any real detail in five minutes. So instead, I will save much of the good bits for individual, dedicated podcasts. In this soundbite then, let's cover an introduction to the cranial nerves, and let me try to convince you that their existence is one of evolution's masterpieces. The infamous cranial nerves are a group of 12 paired nerves that leave the brain directly from its ventral surface. They begin life inside the skull, hence the term cranial. They can be expressed in a shorthand of sorts using a numerical system from 1 to 12, with each assigned a Roman numeral to represent this. For example, cranial nerve 10 is often just shortened to the letters CNX. And despite sounding like a modern airport, CN stands for cranial nerve, and X being the Roman numeral for 10. Likewise, cranial nerve 5 is often just CNV. You get the gist. Now the number system makes sense. When you realise that each nerve tell you the order and that they originate from the brain, from front to back. The first nerve originates most anterior or rostral from the brain, and cranial nerve 12 leaves the brain most posteriorly or cordially from the brain stem. In addition to the numerical value, each of the pairs are given an anatomical name, and most of the time, this tells you something about the nerve's function, appearance, or extracranial cause. In that regard, cranial nerve 1 is often called the olfactory nerve, with olfaction meaning to smell, or rather, the sense of smell. It's not just a smelly nerve. Now, I might be biased, but cranial nerves are special, as they make our very existence a much more enjoyable and interesting experience. For dramatic effect, in true neurology fashion, let's state what you couldn't do if you were without them. Well, for starters, all the special senses you have, that's the cranial nerves. So imagine a world with no sight, smell, taste, hearing or balance. Motor supply to lots of the head and neck muscles are also via the cranial nerves, so without them there would be no moving your eyes or tongue, no chewing or swallowing food or drink, turning your head left or right, shrugging your shoulders, and even the ability to express facial expressions is conducted through these nerves. And there's more. Lots of the automatic functions our body conducts that we take for granted often are part of a nervous system called the autonomic nervous system. That is, the two antagonistically acting sympathetic and parasympathetic systems. Most of the viscera of the body receive parasympathetic supply via, you guessed it, the cranial nerves. So without them, say goodbye to all the resting and digesting you had planned for later. In fact, the age-old hypothetical question we're often asked in anatomy when covering a topic is, can you live without it? And the answer for cranial nerves is a resounding no chance. The cranial nerves are fundamental to our life and are present in all reptiles, birds and mammals. Even amphibians and fish have 10 cranial nerves. Okay, now I know I'm going to go over on this one, but we break the rules on this sometimes. 
Let's go through each nerve and in rapid fire provide a sentence to summarize its name and function. Cranial nerve 1 is the olfactory nerve and it is responsible for the special sense of smell. Cranial nerve 2, the optic nerve, and it takes sensory information from the eye to the brain to facilitate sight. Cranial nerve 3, 4 and 6 can be grouped together as eye-related and they all move the eye. Of this, cranial nerve 3 is the greatest mover and it is termed the oculomotor nerve to reflect this. It is responsible for most eye movements but also plays a role with the intrinsic eye muscles that control the pupil size. Cranial nerve 4 is called the trochlear nerve and cranial nerve 6 being the abducens nerve. Both these nerves innovate one extra ocular muscle each, with the abducens, as the name suggests, innovating the muscle that abducts the eye. See, they do make sense sometimes. Back to cranial nerve 5, which is the trigeminal nerve, getting its name from its three large branches, it is the major sensory nerve of the face, but it also has some motor function to the muscles of mastication or chewing. On to cranial nerve 7, which is the facial nerve. This one is the nerve that innovates the muscles of facial expression, but also has some other functions which leads to Sam calling it the snotty, weepy, dribbly nerve of the face. Cranial nerve 8 is one of my personal favourites, the vestibular cochlear nerve, which are responsible for transducing hearing and balance. On to cranial nerve 9, the glossopharyngeal nerve, and this one receives sensory innovation and taste from the back of your tongue and throat. Which, when you think of it, makes sense. As you put those structures into Latin, they're called glossa and pharynx, hence glossopharyngeal nerve. This one does some other cool autonomic stuff, but we'll save that, I think. Cranial nerve 10 is the meandering vagus nerve, which gets its name from vagare to wander. It is the longest cranial nerve with a true mixed function, having motor, sensory and parasympathetic function. Some of its many important functions include speech, controlling heart and breathing rates and digestion. 11 is the accessory nerve, sometimes called the spinal accessory, and this innovates trapezius and sternocleidomastoid muscles, so shrugging your shoulders and turning your head from side to side. And last, but not least, cranial nerve 12 is the hypoglossal nerve, which translates to the under-the-tongue nerve, and this is responsible for tongue movements. 11 and 12 were, evolutionary speaking, the last to end up in the skull and become members of the cranial nerve group. In fish, these are just two spinal nerves, which may explain this slightly less impressive function. And that is a very introductory podcast on the cranial nerves in over five minutes. But the more you read about these, the more interesting they become, and I promise we will revisit them in many future podcasts in far greater detail. If mnemonics are your thing, then go check out Google, as there are lots of ways to remember the names and numbers in order. Some of the more memorable mnemonics students often use are, let's just say, not university or work safe. Thanks for listening. Speak to you again next time.